Hi, this is Lily Adams. To most of you, you'd know me as Cecile Richards' daughter. That makes us the first mother-daughter duo to introduce the Tribcast, and I've got to be honest, it's not all that's cracked up to be. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the second week of January, sort of the third. When Morgan Smith is is actually when Morgan Smith is on the podcast, they think it's a father-daughter duo. Who's who's her father? Evan Smith. Oh, me? That's you. <laughs> That's Hilarious. a nepotism deal. That explains everything. Right. Editor-in-chief and CEO. Let, let's acknowledge that if Morgan Smith were one's child, one would be thrilled. She is one, not one would have done pretty well. About this <laughs> we'll beginning of the podcast. We have executive editor Ross Ramsey also here. Howdy. And Emily Ramshaw, the editor of the Texas Tribune. Good day. Same to you. They were all used it, up by the is, time It is a good me. day because right, you, you, didn't, you didn't inadvertently eat your pit bull. Emily's motto is <laughs> good day. I will just say the uh, the confusion about the second or third week is that we record these on a Wednesday and the first day of the month fell on a Wednesday. So it's the third Wednesday, second full week. I know you don't it's care. It's the beginning of the third week, no, actually. We're, we're talk- this, is, this is fuzzy math, which maybe gets oh, that was the nice. perfect transition, transition into our next topic. So the the reference you're making, of course, is to the fundraising totals announced by the gubernatorial campaigns. Uh, who wants to fill us in on those? As we sit here last night. Well, as we sit right? here as we sit here last night, the numbers were announced. Yeah, we're sitting here now. On Wednesday. The numbers were announced yesterday. Last night. Uh, Wendy Davis... And Battleground, Texas, sort of if you wrap them all together? Well, if, you know, that's a big if. I mean, Wendy Davis raised $8.5 million. Herself. And if she had raised more than that, she would say, I raised $10 million or $12 million. You're on on Philip Martin shit list now. Instead, they're saying that, you know, along with this thing that we're doing with Battleground, Texas, we raised $12 million and change. And together, we raised more than... Greg Abbott did. So Wendy Davis raised more than Greg Abbott Because Greg did. Abbott I, I raised think, 11 and a half ish I think that's and a lot of ex- explaining to do. And he has, what, 23 $27 million, million, million in the bank, which is – Cash on hand. If, not, that's, if that is not the most money on hand uh, uh, by a candidate or of a candidate from a candidate. It's the most money a candidate ever had at since this, Tony Sanchez was walking around well, with his own checkbook. At this point in the cycle, the most cash on hand, not one's – personal wealth right probably ever in the history mm-hmm. of texas politics well i don't think you have to qualify it. i don't think you have to say at this point in the cycle i think that's the most cash on hand ever. period yeah period do we and we do not yet know wendy davis's cash on hand. ross's supposition has been that um that she hasn't had very much to spend it on to this point right so what the, the amount that she's raised she probably has a lot of that still in hand well the question is that that's the question how much of how much did they have to spend in order to raise the money right. that they raised right. so what's the cost and, of sale and, and what's right. the and what's the what's the nut they're carrying what's the salary drain what well, have they decided to you know what's the ongoing let's, monthly let's take cost? a charitable view of of that number and say that she probably has regardless of what she or she plus battleground raised she probably has half or less than half of the amount money in the bank that he has she has I, – I think she probably – if you take these two together, her and this group, Texas – tell me the name of it again. It was the Victory battle, something. Right. has some generic – you know, <laughs> no looks idea. like a storefront in the MGM parking right. lot. Awesome it, sauce 2014. Awesome, right. <laughs> right, right yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so they raised 12-something. I would – I would expect them to have seven or eight in the bank. Okay, but he has twenty-seven in the bank. So clearly, mm-hmm. right, she's he's got 
almost four times in the bank what she has. I don't. She has plenty of time. Doesn't he have twenty-seven million cash? Yeah, so you're adding million cash in hand. Oh, I thought you were adding that to the twelve, though. No, We're no, I'm saying remaining of the twelve. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but but let's let's accept that this is all true, and let's accept that there's a fuzziness to the. Since so by the you, time you hear this, we'll have the actual. Right, run. we could just right. wait. <laughs> but 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 I want to make a point here. It doesn't. <laughs> you do. Wow. You don't want to wait till you have the numbers <laughs> to make the I point. I don't need facts to make a point. Yeah. Right. That's journalism. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter because she won in one key respect. People in the press, not us, not Jay, but people in the press largely and people in the press especially nationally bought have, it. have bought it. So the story is she raised 12. The story is she raised more than he raised, which is exactly the narrative that they wanted. So whether or not the facts comport, and we can argue about whether they do, it doesn't matter because the narrative they wanted out there fair or not, is out there. What about the argument that all of this money is going towards the effort to elect Wendy Davis, next governor of Texas? And is there a Republican version of Battleground Texas? I mean, if Battleground Texas essentially exists to get her elected. I don't think Greg Abbott needs one. You know, the Battleground Texas is designed to build a network of voters, right, to, to get, you know, people in Amarillo and El Paso and, you know, make sure all those people turn out. And the Republicans have a turnout machine. They've already got one in place. The Democrats are trying to rebuild one that's fallen apart over the last 20 years. And Abbott can, A, take care of the one that's already in place, and B, in in the past several years as attorney general, he's been building a donor network and also a network of support around the state. So he has people he knows in Amarillo and El Paso and San Angelo and all. And even if he places. even if he had a battleground equivalent, he's not combining it on his report. Right, but right. what I'm saying is, you know, I mean, maybe the combined number. Look, these entities sort of exist. These Democratic entities exist to support each other. I feel like in a way that there isn't really an equivalent on the Republican side. I mean, their staffs have been, the, you know, the same people moving back and forth. They're all basically right. headquartered in the same place in Fort Worth. Right. I mean, Battleground Texas and the Wendy Davis campaign, for all intents and purposes, right now are one entity. Right, but Battleground Texas did not come into existence to support Wendy Davis. Remember, as I know you do, the Mm -hmm. chronology. Battleground Texas arrived, then there was a Wendy Davis filibuster, then there was a Wendy Davis campaign. So to say that somehow Battleground is a natural outgrowth of Wendy Davis actually gets the chronology wrong. I'm not saying you're saying that. I think that there's a logical leap you have to make to associate these two so closely that you can count the numbers as one number. Right. Now, there is the campaign... There's the kind of inside-outside group, which I'll grant you Battleground is, but then there's the outside-outside groups. We read in the last week, didn't we, that Empower Texans or the Tim Dunn coalition of organizations that he funds had allocated— It was just power. It was Empower Texans. Maybe it was Empower. Right. But some amount of money to a series of, of, of Republican candidates. Well, they have, to list, they have to list in their campaign finance reports whether they give them money right now or not. That yeah. this, this organization is acting in support of these candidates and acting against those candidates. But, but, and they actually had a pretty long list my, of my people. My point who is, though, should we now, based on this new set of rules that we're now making up as we go along over the last 12 hours, say that any outside group that has said, as a point of fact, I'm giving money to this campaign. That campaign can now claim that money. In yeah, this, right. But That's this group ridiculous. is not entirely outside, right? It's half battleground, half Davis. Well, well, the question, the real question Davis here, I mean, ground. when you sort of cut through all this, the real question is, can the same people direct the expenditure of funds from the Wendy Davis campaign and from this other group? Is it the same, you know, command and control or is it different organizations? And what they're saying is it's basically 
the same. In the case that you present, it's not. Empower Texans is a different set of people making decisions that, that might accrue to the benefit I, of these I campaigns. don't know whether she raised $12 million. She raised eight five Or not. I don't know whether the calculation, let me say it differently, I don't know whether the calculation that they're making is a legitimate calculation or not. I do know, come back to what I said, it doesn't matter because the national headlines <clears throat> and most of the people in Texas in the press took the bait as well reported it straight away as that. And so they got the narrative they wanted. So are we to believe then that they did not meet, the Davis camp did not meet their fundraising total and that's why the numbers are combined? I think they were aiming at 10. I mean, the number they were defensive about was we needed a credible number and the credible number was 10 and we made it to 12. Well, okay, if you do the math that way, you did. There are are a couple other aspects of this that we don't yet know sitting here and that we'll know when the reports are actually in hand. And one of them, and it's been a big talking point for the Abbott campaign, is that Wendy Davis is raising money from people in San Francisco and New York and and Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., people who do not vote in Texas. And so it's all this outside money. I don't Abbott, think that matters. Well, well, I don't think it matters either and because Abbott has that, that, a mo- lot. that money is green, mm-hmm. right? You pay for the same spends, light bill spends with the same, Texas right. raised money as you do. But what I thought was really interesting, and I saw this in the Politico story about this this morning. I don't think we reported this last night. Maybe we did. That she raised money from all 254 counties. Counties in Texas. Well, which, the big number they're throwing around is that she had over 71,000 individual donors. But what I love about that 254 uh, county number is – I'm Chris, my brain Somebody is had crazy. to go to Loving County and bang uh, on did every you, door. Did, did right? this yeah. happen organically? <laughs> I mean, look, Loving County, which had 71 people, or King County, which has some small right. number of people, those counties went overwhelmingly for Romney and McCain in the last two cycles to the point that there were not but five or six or seven people who even voted for Obama in those counties. How, how did you the Davis— to get one of those five or six? Well, well, but hey, I'm, buddy, but I'm give me five bucks. But right. did they, did they, bucks, did they think exactly. to themselves, we need to knock out of the con- conversation this thing that this is somehow a campaign funded out of Texas. So we're going to make a concerted effort to get all 254 counties to give. And so we're going to go looking for people in these counties that don't have – I mean, I just would love to know how that happened. Well, you I'm know, sure what they did. Yeah. Did the Abbott campaign – can the Abbott campaign claim donors in all 254 counties? That would be interesting to me. Probably. One of the interesting ways to look at the money is to say, okay, Over so how much did they raise? Time. You know, you look at how much money they have. But then if you look at how they raised it and where they raised it, it's not just a – in-state, out-of-state thing, it tells you about the extent of the organization. And if they've got people giving them, you know, I mean, what the Davis people are trying to say here is we have support, we have evidence of support in every county in the state. Right. And that's something. I mean, if you raised all your money from just three Texas cities, which is, or four Texas cities, that's primarily what you do. do you know how many counties President Obama won last election? 24. 24. I mean, that's it. So there's 254 counties. And so theoretically, if she's out chasing money in 254 of 254 counties, she's raising some money at least from places that are right. not friendly to Democrats, right. which optically is good, but it also changes slightly the conversation about whether the money has come in-state or out-of-state. Now, we'll see. And, and Emily, your point is exactly right. Abbott is no slouch in the raising money from out-of-state department. The other thing that's going to come up, I think, is that Abbott raised a lot of money in large chunks. I'm aware from the last report that the Davis folks filed of a couple people, Abbas, I believe Laura Arnold of the John and Laura Arnold uh, uh, and the Arnold Foundation in in Houston, who gave significant five-figure or maybe even in the case of the Bass, I think, six-figure gifts. But by and large, those gifts are significantly smaller. In the case of Abbott, there's significantly larger six-figure gifts. And so does that come up as a talking point? Does does, does that matter? Does the number of donors matter? I mean, this is the big – I think the number of donors matters. Does the size of the donations matter? 
Well, the number of donors matters as a measure of support and extent of organization, right? It's, you know, how many people do you have worked up enough to write a check or give you a dollar, right? The big money matters because it tells you sort of who's winning the finance primary and where the big money's going. It also will tell us whether or not there's any big Democratic money running around in Texas and whether it's committed to Wendy Davis at this point. But I think the big money can also be used against you a little bit if you're a Wendy Davis making an argument that, you know, Abbott's money is raised mostly from, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Millionaires and billionaires. On the other hand, if Amber Mostyn wrote a $20 million check to the Davis campaign, the Davis campaign would not return it. It depends on what county it's from. <laughs> if they've already checked that county right. off, I'm sure they'd say, oh, no. Uh, don't, sorry, we don't need it. Can you move? The county's oh, already done, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, does, I mean, are we still far enough out where this is just sort of stuff we're talking about on the horizon? Or is, are we getting into the point where it's like actually you're into the, point, the race you're, is on? You're well into the finance primary. So you're well into the point where the finance people are going to look at this and say, make an assessment as to, particularly on the Democratic side, make an assessment as to whether they think this is possible And or worth investing in. And if she's raised enough money and shown enough traction here, they go, okay, we'll throw to this. Um, I don't think money is going to be a problem for either side in this race. She won't have as much as he has, but she'll have enough. Right. Right. You know, the last several – Chris Bell's probably an exception, but, you know, Bill White had enough money. Tony Sanchez had plenty of money. So we must not have had enough of something else. I I, I don't think the problem here is going to be – Necessarily well, raising the money. I mean, it's, they're <laughs> going to have to do it all, you know. And, and you got to go to all these Democratic donors and say, you know, you should give me money. And I know it's tough to do this because we've lost so many races over the last few years. But I think she'll have enough. Have you n- noticed any uh, interesting spikes or dips in campaign totals coming from further down the ballot? Not really. I think it's going to be really hard for the people in the middle of the statewide ballot to get enough money to make themselves known. If you're running for controller or even, you know, the AG's race has a little bit more money in it. There's hardly any money in the Ag Commission race, so that's sort of an eeny, meeny, miny, mo on name ID. Yep. You know, I think those guys are having a hard time. Well, there's another race going on that maybe isn't, doesn't, isn't really susceptible to the finance primary, but now we have a speaker's race in the works. Ish. Yeah, I would, I would qualify that statement. You know, Scott Turner jumped into this race. Um, Republican from? Republican from Plano and said he wants to, or Frisco. And, and yeah, wants, one of those O's. Yeah, one of those, one of those one Collin of those County. One of those North Texas O's. Yeah, yeah. Collin County. From Dallas O. Jumped, yeah. jumped into this race and said, I'm running for speaker. And that election is not until January. And the people who will vote in that election aren't elected until November. But what it does is give, in a Republican primary, a thing that uh, candidates can say, well, I'm for or against Joe Strauss. It gives them a wedge in the primary. That's exactly what this is about. Right. And, 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 otherwise, what would the timing be? Yeah, why, why, why else do it uh, why announce it this early on? Yeah. And so yeah. for now, the conversation is less about can Scott Turner beat Joe Strauss in a thing than about, you know, you go Republican by Republican in some of these contested right. primary so races Andy and say, Car- are Cargill, you for this one or that Andy one? Andy Cargill, Cargill, however you pronounce his last name, right. running against uh, Jonathan Stickland, they want to point out that he's not sufficiently conservative and they'll use the Strauss versus Scott Turner question as a test. And I expect everybody who probably gets asked that question probably says something along the lines of, I'm just trying to get myself elected right yeah, now. I'm not worrying about the speaker. But, but, the, but the non-answer is going to be taken as somehow, well, you're not with Scott Turner. There's, there are a bunch of races that either pit a moderate challenging a 
conservative in the Republican primary or vice versa, a conservative challenging a moderate. And in those races, you know, town halls and things like that, this could be an issue. Let's say you, let's yeah. say you give a non-answer or give, or give a pro-Strauss or, or let's say you just say, I don't want to worry about people having backlash against me. I will just say, I'm all on for Turner. Are you going to be held to that next January? I think uh, people can flip around a lot between now and January. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a there's a practical question as to whether Turner will actually make that race. Right. You know, will Turner actually go up to the point where there's actually a vote on this? Remember, thing? Brian Hughes declared, maybe not this early, but declared pretty early against Strauss. The same and kind of strategy. Never ran. Well, it was the same kind of strategy. Right. He same, stepped aside. It was the same play. I think here's my suggestion for them: when they say, "Who's your preference for speaker?" you say, "Bose." <laughs> right, you kind of give some hilarious answer that sort of makes it like. Yeah, that was hilarious. I think. Oh, I had to get into my laughing. music technology humor file. You guys, come on! <laughs> I mean, so what is These this? Are the jokes. What is this for Strauss? Other than just you know, yet another little thorn in his side, something he has to think about, something that gets to creep into the back of his brain that he might not have had to worry that about. Thorn moved pretty quickly. He ignores it. Don't you think he ignores it? He praises Scott Turner as a. As a good member of the 150, and he doesn't say anything negative that would give anybody any reason to. I'm honored by anybody who takes part in the process. Right. Is there is there a challenger to Strauss that would present as more of a this is a real race, given that Scott Turner he just finished his first term. Well, you know, the there was some discussion that John Smithy from Amarillo was was being floated. So was a discussion that he might run. He, right. he never gave any. Uh, um, Heir to this, but there was some discussion. Smithy might be a candidate. The the math works the same way in all of these things. You've got some number of you've got to find enough disgruntled Republicans and enough Democrats who've been shut out of the process by the current speaker to make seventy six votes. That's how Strauss beat Craddock. There it are takes, enough gruntled Republicans though, takes, probably it, for him to win. It takes three or four, and, and Strauss has this advantage that you know initially looks like a disadvantage, and that a lot of his chairmen and chairwomen have decided not to come back. And so he has a lot of things to pass out. He's got appropriations. There's no appropriations chairman. There's no chairman of this or chairman of that. Ways and, and so means, higher he can, ed. He can bring in people who right. feel like they've been shut out of the process, and all of a sudden they're not shut out of the process. All of a sudden those so are Strauss people. What happened to Lois? I thought Lois Colcourse was talking about running at one point. There was some discussion of her maybe more properly uh, running. I think there's still a little conversation about it. It's really, really too early for a speaker's race. If you're, if you're doing a speaker's race right now, like I said, I think that's all about the Republican You don't even primary. know who the 150 are. Yeah, at right. this point, I mean, right? this is just so early. This is only a, a primary issue and nothing else. On the other hand, you pointed right. out the other day in the Times, I believe, that the likelihood of there being enormous change pretty uh, small. is pretty small. You know, right. we, we are in a competitive cycle comparatively where there are a bunch of races and you kind of go, well, I don't really know what the outcome is today. But the likelihood of most of those yeah, the likelihood of a real big power shift. I mean, there'll be some new personalities, certainly in all these statewide offices that are open, but I don't expect a new speaker. I mean, you could get one. You know, the composition of the Senate could get a little more conservative, but it's conservative now. The composition of the congressional delegation, I don't expect to change more than two or three personalities. Although, if, there, if there's a new lieutenant governor, do you get all new chairs in the Senate? What happens then? Well, it depends on what powers the Senate wants to hand that new lieutenant governor. It depends upon who that new lieutenant governor is. You may get a change in the two-thirds rule or one at least recommended by the new right. lieutenant governor that the, the lieutenant, body would have to ratify. I think it's going to go up to the seven-eighths rule. That's my prediction. Well, the well, lieutenant governor's powers all come from the 60 percent rule is actually what's been floated by both uh, Patterson and particularly Patrick, I Patrick, believe, right. want to take it down to 19. Look, if, if, the, if the Wendy Davis Senate seat flips to Republican, you've got 20. Twelve Democrats on abortion. I suppose they've got Lucia. But what are they going to do? Limit abortions at twenty minutes? I mean, they've already done the most restrictive abortion law that they can Just possibly wait. do. Um, 
you know, the practical matter of having 20 Republicans is that you're only one flaky Democrat away from being able to bring up something if you have the two-thirds rule in place. But I think the likelihood of the two-thirds rule being in place, three of the four candidates for lieutenant governor have basically said, I'm not for the two-thirds rule as it currently operates, and I'm going to have the fourth at the Austin Club tomorrow morning as we sit here, Thursday morning. And, as, and you know, I certainly intend to press the question of whether the lieutenant governor, if he comes back, would stick to his position that he's had over these last three terms of of using the two-thirds rule during the regular session. That was what kept the abortion bill from being brought up during the regular, which ultimately created the situation in the – not through his fault, but created the situation in the special. Don't, don't you imagine I'll say it's the will of the Senate? Yeah. Well, but but do we need a two-thirds rule to vote on the two-thirds no, rule? It's a, no, it's a majority vote. Well, the majority of the Senate would probably say get rid of it. The majority of the Senate didn't do that the last two times after yeah, conversations think, just like this. I think it's a different situation now. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think it depends on who the lieutenant governor is I and how much power the, the Senate wants to hand I can name you 16 Republicans who I think would vote right now to get rid of it. Why don't we do Try. that? Why don't we do that after? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Offline. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was just, it'll, it'll be like your own little mini filibuster of the podcast. I, I dream about filibustering this podcast. Yeah. I think the next Brandy comes in and takes my back brace at about hour four. So <laughs> you were saying twenty minutes on abortion. I bet that the next legislation they try is um, nineteen uh, weeks banning abortion after a heartbeat is present. You do think that? There's already been some talk about it. Should we should we transition? I mean, this does sort of, just, in some ways, touch on our next topic, which is less politics and more policy. Although the politics of it are pretty interesting. Uh, there's a situation going on in Fort Worth that's gotten a lot of attention that Emily is now going to take the baton and fill us in on. Sure. Uh, There's a very strange and fascinating case uh, in Fort Worth right now where a woman is on life support in the hospital. Uh, Her family believes she's brain dead. She's also pregnant, and the family would like to take her off of life support, has been trying, in fact, for two months to take her off of life support. Uh, But the hospital will not take her off of life support because of a rule in state law that basically says that if a woman is pregnant, all bets are off regarding her advance directive or any choice choice she may have made prior. So this is, you know, a case that's sort of pitting folks uh, on both sides of the abortion and end of life issues against each other. There's the argument that, you know, this woman at the time that she uh, suffered what they believe was a pulmonary embolism and ended up um, in the hospital, that she still might have been at the point where she could have had an abortion. Uh, We're creeping pretty close up to the 20 week mark now of her pregnancy. So the family has sued. Uh, you have, you know, Republicans jumping in and saying, you know, one tragedy has already occurred. Let's keep this baby alive. Uh, and on the other side, you know, you have Democrats saying this this family made a choice. We need to change this state law that does not allow, you know, women who are pregnant to uh, to have their wishes upheld. So it's really, I mean, a remarkable tragedy and case that has made a lot of headlines nationally, not just in Texas. Is state law clear on this? Because I know the initial question was, you know, some confusion about that. So state law is quite clear that, you know, even on the advance directives form, it says if you are pregnant, basically all bets are off. What's not clear is the definition of brain dead and whether this woman is considered, you know, if this woman is already, quote unquote, dead, then there's no need for an advance directive. Right. The question is whether she's actually, quote unquote, brain dead. There's a state definition for it. The family claims that doctors told them she is brain dead. The hospital, because of privacy rules, has not been able to come forward and say anything about, you know, her condition. Whose privacy? 
I mean, that's well, interesting. Right. So it's privacy rules. So she has no ability to articulate her view of her own privacy because she's in the condition she's in. Her and family can't assert One would imagine it. that the family right. would have power of attorney or some other control over the question of what is in her best interest from a privacy standpoint. Right. You know, the other big unknown here is that this fetus um, went without oxygen for probably close to an hour. Uh, when the mother, you know, the mother had been um, uh, without oxygen for an hour by the time that she was found by her husband, who happens to be a paramedic. Well, as as was she. Am right. I not right? And yeah, I think so. I mean, I know I believe he she had was. she had some. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think at this point, yeah. it's really more the fetus that. So what's matters. the so, so there is a, a fetal heartbeat. Uh, but nobody knows, you know, the condition of this of this fetus at this point. It's it's very difficult to know. So, but and, you know, every and who week, would who would take care of it if it is born? Have they figured that out? Well, I, I mean, I presumably the family, the the family that's presumably. been trying to. The, but the family, you know, believes that this was this woman's wishes that she not be kept on life support. Right. They, I heard I heard right. the father the father has say said, that on right. television that they had actually had conversations about end of life. Right. As a result of them both being in the emergency medical. Right. Arena, right, professionally. Mm -hmm. And in the context of that, it had conversation. Mm -hmm. Do we need a legal, I mean, do we need a legislative solution for this? If it, it's got, I imagine this has got to be an incredibly rare no, situation. No, in fact, this, well, the situation may be, but I believe that the law that governs this issue is not unique to Texas. The law is not unique to Texas. There, there are several states that have the same provision about pregnant women. You know, you may remember in the last legislative session, there was a big fight between uh, different pro-life groups around these bills that would sort of clarify the state's end-of-life end of legislation. And Senator Bob Dole told Becca Aronson, our health care reporter yesterday, uh, that, you know, if that measure had passed during the legislative session, that there would have, this would have been a, a lot clearer of a decision to make, that the family would have had sort of greater oversight at the end of this woman life. Uh, clearly, this was legislation that, you know, Texas right to life opposed in the last legislative session. I think that's part of the reason it had so much trouble. This is actually the scorecard fight, right, between yes, Texas exactly. right to life and, and Texas Catholic bishops. The Catholic and bishops, all, right. Texas Alliance for Life. Right. right. What, what I think, let's come back to this question. Very interesting that you raised and that you asked, Reeve, about what happens with this kid. So the fetus is kept alive uh, against the family's wishes, mm -hmm. and the baby is, is born. And the baby has enormous medical challenges. I'm just right. – this is a supposition. And there are extraordinary expenses associated with and burdens as a result of this child's challenges. Mm. If it is the father's responsibility and the family's responsibility against their wishes, and now this child has all these medical challenges and burdens and financial uh, issues associated, I expect you're going to hear a conversation – from people who believe that the family should be able to terminate this pregnancy as mm -hmm. a result of, of the condition of the mother, they'll say the people who are arguing that this child should be kept alive, where are they after the child is is born? Right. Well, I mean, I, that's the argument. That's the sort of age-old argument yeah. in Texas. What is pro, right. you know, you're you're, right. you're pro-life up until the time that the baby is born. That's a, right. I think that's, that's a, an argument whether the uh, baby has medical challenges or not. Well, right. but I think but right. I think it's actually more acute. Oh, yeah, of course. In the case mm -hmm. of um, the numbers are different. It's the same question. Yeah, but it, mm -hmm. but it, but the numbers are different. And I, I, I think that you're going to. I'm expecting that you're going to. 
Right. You're going to hear that now. But what soon. you're going to hear from, you know, Republicans and have have already heard is, you know, we don't know the condition of this baby. Why should we, you know, why should we terminate the possibility of life right. here for this fetus right. that has a heartbeat, you know, without knowing any condition? I actually suspect, by the way, on the question of you said Republicans, mm-hmm. I know I know where you're yeah. going with this. I actually suspect that this is a bipartisan issue on both sides. Well, I suspect sure. there are Democrats I'm just saying who are the people for keeping been, the baby alive the, and some Republicans right. who believe that the family should have the right. Well, there are a lot of different cross currents, right? I mean, there's a the. Ton there's the customers. terminating a pregnancy thing, but there's also the personal freedom thing and the ability right. to just make decisions for yourself. Um, right. And it's uh, you can see why. I mean, I don't, I don't think we got tons of responses from the statewide candidates when we polled them. A few people did step out and say one way or another. I think uh, like Perry. Perry. He's not a her, candidate. Yeah, right. Perry spoke out very – and that's what I said when I said yeah. Republicans. You know, Perry spoke out very quickly and said, you know, this is a life of a baby at stake. Dewhurst made probably the strongest, the strongest statement. strongest statement. But Abbott, if right. I'm remembering, declined really to weigh no, in. Right? Abbott did what he often does when there are controversial this issues might be in the, the news. Of he says, this <laughs> might be the subject of litigation. I'm the attorney general. I can't comment. Um, but, you know, Wendy Davis came out and said, you know, predictably that this family should have the right to make its own decisions. Can, can, I, can I ask a question about that? It's a small digression, but it ties back to the beginning. How long can the Abbott campaign get by on questions of all sorts saying that? Probably as long as he's still attorney general. Well, you know, I mean, they, they except, play it, they play except, it both ways. Except all the time. on the I mean, issues right. that he wants to comment on, right. the right. ones that are bell, bell, uh, uh, dog whistles, pardon me, right? He has no Alarm problem bells. attacking the EPA. The EPA, well, that's yeah. a subject of litigation. Right. Right. Obamacare is a subject of litigation. Subject of litigation. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that that's, right. I mean, look, the attorney general Kenner cannot answer any question he wants. Accepted. But on something like this, this is a major controversy. And if you're the governor, there's a moral leadership question, if not an actual you know, legislative leadership question that it is reasonable, whatever you decide, whatever right. your position is, people can like it or don't like it. But Plus, give us an answer. There's We're, no lawsuit against the state in this case. Give us an case. answer. Where I mean, in this pregnancy are we? What month are we like, in? We're at like about 18 weeks. So, and remember, the ban now in Texas is 20 weeks. So this is a so this is a situation where we could watch the monitoring of this thing for through the primary. Uh huh. Right. I mean, the, so in terms of in terms of where are we now? Where are we now? What's going on now? Interesting. So it's right. not even at the twenty week point. No, which I mean, is why the one side argument is that you know this family. The problem is the father does not have the right to terminate the pregnancy because? at this point because it's a woman's. That's a woman's decision. choice. It's not a not the husband's choice. Right. So the father could not, you know, proceed with an abortion because it's not his decision to make. This is like medical ethics class. It's, this it's is like a this is like a great. It's case already case it's already gotten a decent amount of national attention. It's I would imagine if we get attention. into a situation where it's sort of going along with the campaign, right. that it will get even more attention. Right. I mean, I'm sort of waiting for this to turn into a Terry Schiavo like thing. Well, that's you know? where I was going. Right. right. So far, you know, the, we we basically asked the Republicans did not lawmakers did not jump out to say this stuff. We called them and asked them for a response to this. You know. No, I'd, we haven't really sort of seen the fever pitch politically that you saw around the Terry Shiva stuff, but I would imagine Yet. it's probably not far away. We could, we, we could have it. If well, they keep the, this woman alive. And the family way. just filed their lawsuit. We'll see how that goes. Of course, right. the other interesting part of this is is that the head of John Peter Smith Hospital is Robert Early. Is Robert Early, who is a former state representative. Right. Ran for railroad commission. Um, he knows the politics of this upside and, and down. He's he, not like a hospital uh, CEO who's going, legislature, what's the legislature? Right. He's actually somebody no, he who the, understands how this stuff works. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I wonder, just last quick thought, I wonder what the hospital knows that the public doesn't know. And I mean, that they're not telling us. Well, right, you know, I mean. Well, they get to hide behind HIPAA. I mean, they, right. get, to, you know, they get to say, you know, this is privacy. And but well, maybe correctly, more, they get to hide behind Maybe there's that. more yeah. brain function than the family believes. But they also might know. just, they might just have, they might be playing it safe legally. Like right. if the, they're not right. clear on the laws, just say, we're just going right. to stay in limbo for now. This is why we need a New York Post in Texas so we can have a hypocrites <laughs> headline. Right. Actually, but right? every day, every week, this woman stays alive. This fetus just continues to develop right so we're ending on sort of a cliffhanger here but uh it's time to check back soon (laughs) it's time to move on we'd uh, like to thank shiny ribs for doing our music and if you have questions or comments or would like to sign up for our fetal updates you can email tribcast.org tell people to sign up for the brief you can sign up for the brief somewhere trib.it slash brief me is the short uh, shorthand for the URL that Sounds will allow dirty. you to. It does sound well only yeah. in your mind. It was allow the way you, you sign up for the brief. Brief me. I want it to be articulate. Boxers next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boxers or brief. That's your choice, right? No choice. Just the brief. Just sign up for brief. the brief. Morning, brief morning news. John Reynolds must read politics policy. Blah blah. Yeah, that's the tagline. <laughs> On behalf of Emily Ross, Evan, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Sometimes I feel guilty when I eat hamburgers because my dog, who I love so much, looks kind of like a small cow.